Well, it's good to be back today. Uh, we've been gone a couple of weeks, in case you didn't miss us. I want to remind you we have been gone, but we're glad to be here. And uh, certainly I'm a little concerned. I've got a lot of props around me today. I don't know what to do with all of these. I just hope I don't trip on this pup tent here, Tim. I'm a little concerned about that. But, you know, I looked at the platform, and uh, we've got kind of those what looks to be big bluffs there across the, the back of the sanctuary. And if you've ever been to Caesarea Philippi, you know what those bluffs look like. And it is reminiscent of what we have up here. You know, that's where uh, the great confession was made by the Apostle Peter. On this rock, I'll build my church. And, uh, uh, and Jesus said, this is, this is the way it's going to be. I'm going to build my church upon this confession that Peter made there, uh, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so anyway, if you'll find your Bible, I want to begin preach a message today that the Lord has laid on my heart about how we can stay usable for God. And I'm talking to some people today who over a period of time, I feel confident, has been used of the Lord. You have made an impact on uh, the places you've been, the places you've served, wherever the Lord has had you. You have bloomed where you've been planted But I think we need a stark reminder to see the kind of person, the expectations that God has if you and I are going to remain usable for him. You know, I was recently reflecting on my own life, considering who God had used in my life to influence me and certainly educate me and mold me and encourage me over the years. Uh, Ones who've made a difference in my life to keep me usable for God. And really, there's been quite a few, as you would expect. And I know as you reflect back on your own life, you would agree with me quickly, those who've made a difference, who've helped you become a better servant of Christ. Of course, at the top of the list is, uh, is my wife of 48 years, Dr. Mary Dighton. She has loved me unconditionally. She's been uh, a faithful mate. She has helped me, and she's constrained me to be all that God has called me to be. And believe me, I would not be here today without her. And so why don't you give it up for my precious wife who's always by my side. I also thought of my grandfather. I may have made mention of him to some of you in passing, but he was a preacher of the gospel for over 50 years in rural Oklahoma. He had a sixth grade education, raised 13 kids, He came in a covered wagon from Arkansas in 1890 over to rural Oklahoma, and God called him to the ministry. And I will tell you, he was a winsome, wonderful preacher and loved God's people. I bet he never had $100 in his pocket, but he was some kind of great man that have influenced my life even today. I think about the, the guy who's my pastor uh, when I made a commitment to Christ, O.S. Hawkins, who's going to be here and preach uh, just in a couple of weeks for you guys when we're out uh, in July. Um, back in 1975 at First Baptist Church of Ada, Oklahoma, and he's continued uh, to be my pastor, my friend. He has been my Paul, and I've been a Timothy to him, and he has directed me and helped me Uh, along the way to help keep me usable in the expectations what God has for me and in my life. And I know that you would think of many as well. But you know, as I thought about what are the two critical things that shape us, two things come to mind. One is the books we read, and secondly, the people we meet. 
The books we read, if we spend time in the Word of God, guess what? We're going to become more like God. We read secular books or books that are, are negative on our, uh, uh, how we perceive life and uh, affect our worldview, then I'm telling you, it, it'll result in us wandering from God. But truth of the matter is, there's these people that we meet that God puts in our path that can make us ever stronger. And so we ask the question today, all of this collectively, how can you and I stay usable for God? I've chosen a text out of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 because you know a little bit about the background of what's going on here in the book of 1 and 2 Corinthians. The church had some major problems there was division in the church. There was factions. There was sexual immorality. There was lawsuits among believers. There was misbehavior at the Lord's table. And this magnitude of perverse uh, problems that uh, were pervasive in that uh, church uh, about 40 miles outside of Athens, Greece. Honestly, the problem was this. The church had begun to mirror the corrupt and carnal uh, culture of Corinth. Matter of fact, the, uh, the, 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 the culture became so insidious that there was a word that was termed to Corinthicize, which became synonymous with sexual immorality and perverse sexual practices in that first century Greco world. So this epistle is written to straighten some things out in that church, but also tucked away we find some principles, some timeless truths that reveal to us how you and I can stay usable for God. I'm just going to read a couple of verses today. If you please stand on reading God's word. Follow along as I preach in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 as we unpack this text of scripture together. Let a man consider us how as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found Say it with me, faithful. Let's pray together. Father, I do pray that as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, we would be faithful because faithful people are usable people. And now I pray that in our time together that we indeed could find the truths that you have for application in our lives, certainly as a church, but also individually Holy Spirit of God, we welcome you to this place, not only to be our comforter, our healer, but to be our teacher as well. Guide us in all truth. Point us to Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Please notice three things in this text today that obviously are apparent, even at a casual reading of the text. The first thing is notable, if we're going to stay usable for God, we must remain in a humble position. You know, I, I would tell you the first thing that's required for anyone to ever be used of God, that they have to walk in humility. Because we read countless times in the scripture, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And here in our text, we notice Paul uses the phrase, consider us. He's not just speaking of himself, but he uses a, that plural term speaking of also Peter and Apollos. And these three personalities had labored in this church at Corinth. Can I tell you, all of these men were really first century rock stars in the Christian faith. 
Think with me a minute about the Apostle Paul, the most prolific writer in the New Testament, 13 New Testament books sent out by God to, be, to take the message, the gospel to the Gentiles. He was the first key missionary spreading the gospel, establishing churches, uh, appointing elders, and, and certainly he's the one who planted the church here in Corinth. And then Apollos, who followed Paul in Corinth, who watered the seed that Paul had planted. We know this, that he, uh, he was discipled himself by Aquila and Priscilla. And it says there in uh, Acts chapter 18 that Apollos preached with great zeal and power. And he was eloquent and impressive in his proclamation. And then, of course, he mentions as well in these previous uh, uh, three chapters, Cephas or Peter who we know as undoubtedly the senior pastor of all of the apostles. Matter of fact, in the inner circle, every time uh, Peter, James, and John is mentioned as part of Jesus' inner circle, it's always first Peter. As you know, the Roman Catholic Church declared Peter to be the first pope. But here, Paul references him as Cephas. That is the Aramaic term to mean rock. And so I guess we could say that Peter really was a rock star, even as Jesus called him. But the message that Paul was sending was this. We don't want to be considered as bigger than life. We're not some kind of religious big shots. We're not pompous and proud and full of ourselves. But here's the way we want to be considered, simply as servants of Christ. Don't be lavishing a bunch of praise and acclaim on us. We're called of God, and we need to stay humble so we can be usable for God. Do you realize some 57 times in the New Testament we find that word servant used? 58 times we find the verb serve. Obviously, we cannot know over 100 uses of one word uh, how important it is. It's a mega theme of the New Testament. The most popular Greek word that's translated servant is the Greek word doulos. It's translated in the English Bible as bond servant. It's the term that Paul would use when he wrote about Jesus in that great kenosis passage in Philippians chapter 2. Remember what it says? Speaking of Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it to be robbery, to be made equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took on the form, and here's the word, of a doulos, of a bondservant, and he was made in the likeness of men. A doulos, a bondservant. But that's not the word he used here, not the common word. He used a different Greek word. It's huperitea. It, it, it actually could be literally interpret as an under rower. It was those who were oarsmen who would labor in the bowels of a seagoing ship. This was hard work. These were sweatshop kind of laborers. No esteem, no clout, no seniority, no social, financial, or political uh, uh, notoriety. That's the term he uses of these great men of God. And he said, you just consider us in this way. You know, as I read that and thought about that, I thought, no wonder we're still talking about these great men of God. They were humble, contrite. They were not full of self-importance or self-focus. They were modeling what they had learned from Jesus in the upper room the night before his crucifixion in John 13. You remember what he did? Of course you do. He washed the disciples' feet. 
And he said, now look, I have given you an example. Not to wash feet, but to be a servant. And I, as I have served you, you go and serve others as well. So he said, here's the principle, you've got to be a servant. And then he also said, here's the promise that goes with it. If you will continue to serve like this, you'll be happy. Happy you are if you follow this example. Because there's joy in serving Jesus. Listen, there's a continuum taught throughout the scriptures that God will always resist the proud. And so we're to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he would want, will he one day exalt us. I love what it says in Romans chapter 12. As Paul moves from that great theological first 11 chapters and then begins to make practical application. In verse 3 he says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think soberly as each man has been dealt a measure of faith. You know, I'm convinced one of the key reasons that leaders in large churches today, hear me, become ineffective and unusable for God is because they get too big for their britches. They love to hang out in the green room. They love to delegate all of the work, all of the heavy lifting to other people. And they, they are looking for someone who will be subservient to them. And as they often see it, it's anybody and everybody. And they're trying to do as little as possible so they can delegate any kind of personal service to someone else. It was C.S. Lewis who wrote, A proud man is always looking down on others. And of course, when you're looking down, you cannot see anything above you. And they lose sight of the calling on their life. And here Paul declares, when you think of us, just remember us this way as servants of Christ. And if you'll walk in humility, then you too will be usable for God. He says, this is the way we want to be thought of. This is the way we want to be remembered. You know, I wonder, as you look back on your life... <laughs> How are you going to be remembered? I remember the story about Alfred Nobel, who's remembered, of course, for funding the Nobel Peace Prize that's awarded annually in six different disciplines, medicine, physics, chemistry, literature, economics, and peace. Actually, Alfred was a Swedish chemist and an engineer. He was the one who invented dynamite. But something happened in his life that changed his legacy. In 1888, his only brother, whose name was Ludwig, passed away. Alfred actually had picked up a newspaper that morning in Cannes, France, where he was not to read Ludwig's obituary, but his own obituary, as the paper had erroneously printed the obituary of the wrong person. And in that obituary read, Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding more ways to kill more people than anyone who lived before him, died yesterday and as he read his own obituary he became terribly disappointed thinking is this how I'm going to be remembered is this the legacy that I will leave so he would give his entire state a state to fund the Nobel Peace Prize for the furtherance of peace because Alfred knew what we know blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God Curiously enough, you know who the first recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize was? It was Alfred's pastor. May you and I come to realize 
if we're going to be used mightily of God, it's not that we need more education. It's not that we need greater leverage. It's not that we have to have some kind of uh, recognition by our peers, but it's simply finding our resolve and being resolute, and it's enough to be a servant of God. You know what it'll do if we all become servants of God? It'll bring unity in the church. God can bless us. It's critical to walk in a humble position. Secondly, let me move quickly. If we're going to stay usable for God, not only does it take this humility, secondly, it takes this habitual practice. He says we're to be stewards here, stewards of the mystery of God. That, that Greek word translated stewards is oikonomos. It literally means to be a household manager. It's the biblical reminder that you and I literally don't own anything, but we're, we're put here on this earth for a while to manage a few assets I think the Old Testament picture that we all know and are familiar with is that of Joseph. Remember, he was, he was the steward of Potiphar's household. He was managing the assets of Potiphar. And the steward doesn't own what he oversees. He doesn't have the title deed to those things, but he's been given the responsibility, a fiduciary responsibility. He's been entrusted with in this relationship. So Paul is saying here, I don't own this gospel. It belongs to God. God orchestrated it. He initiated it. He facilitated. He fulfilled it. But I have a serious responsibility, and that is to properly manage it or steward what's been entrusted to me. That word stewardship has a lot of application in your life and in my life because you know why? You and I have been given the responsibility of steward a lot of, to steward a lot of things. We get a lot of stuff, the least of which is not our time. We have the responsibility of being stewards over the time that God gives to us. We all get a lot of the same amount. We get 168 hours a week. We can do with it whatever we please. But I'm afraid oftentimes we squander it away more than anything rather than use it in a productive way. Do you realize both in Colossians and Ephesians the same verse is, is, is used? which says we're to redeem the time because the days are evil. Literally, it's saying we got to buy back every opportunity that's ours. And, and it, can't we agree that that's true? The days are evil. This is our opportunity. Let's use our time in a productive way. But I will tell you, you try to enlist people to serve in some capacity in the church, oftentimes they'll use the same excuse, and it's this. I, I, I don't have the time right now. I don't have the time right now. Well, can I tell you, we all have the same amount of time. You get to choose how you use your time, how you steward your time. And I know this, with this allotted amount of time, God wants your best. He wants your priority. He wants the seniority of your life. We call it lordship. We, that Jesus Christ is Lord of everything. He's the Lord of our time. He doesn't want our leftovers. Not with your time, and certainly not with your finances. <laughs> Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your money, with your possessions, with your substance, and then the first fruits of your increase, and then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your presses will burst out with new wine. We're to honor God 
because we're stewarding in a right way what he's entrusted to us, not merely with our time, but also with whatever possessions we have. And here, the writer of Proverbs says, God wants your best. You honor the Lord with your money and the first fruits of your increase. So our tendency is this. Well, if we got enough left over with our time and, and with our money, we'll perhaps give a tip of the hat to God. I, I'm reminded of what it says in Malachi chapter 1, the last book of the Old Testament, right before the intertestamental period, and the New Testament begins with the coming of Jesus. God declares, don't bring me your lame, sick, or blind animals as a sacrifice. You wouldn't do that to your governor. Of course you wouldn't. Would he be pleased with that? No, nor am I. He said, get this. Don't you understand? I want my name to be great among the nations, but you're profaning it with these disrespectful offerings. He said, how is my name ever going to be great if I don't even have the best of those who belong to me? Listen, if we want to be used of God, we'll never be used until we properly steward what God's entrusted to us. But Paul's not talking about our time. He's not talking about our money here. He's talking about stewarding the gospel. Stewards of the mysterion, the mystery of the gospel. You know what that word means? That which was once concealed now has been revealed. What once was concealed, that the gospel are going to be brought into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. As it says in Colossians 1.27, To them God will to make known what is the riches of his glory. This mystery among the Gentiles, which is this Christ in you. The hope of glory. Listen, understand the critical nature of what we're called to steward here. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we become believers in Jesus Christ, we're given a responsibility to steward the truth of the gospel. It's as plain as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered unto you that which I also received, how that Christ died for sins, according to the Scriptures. How he was buried, and on the third day he arose again, according to the to the scriptures. But honestly today, if you and I stand in the marketplace or the public square in this politically correct culture and declare that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and all other religious or religions are erroneous or invalid or errant, we will be perceived as bigoted, narrow-minded, and insensitive. I read this past week that a textbook is about to be used in Tennessee, of all places, that claims Allah is the same God as the God of the Bible. And in Sullivan County, only one member of the school board even took issue with this. I read that post and I responded to that post on Facebook to simply say this, I thought the public school was to simply teach reading, writing, and arithmetic. Not theology. Not political correctness. Certainly not to be making assertions that the God of the Bible has an equal. And I'm just telling you today, we have an important responsibility to steward the truth of the gospel message. 
by what we know the truth of the gospel being. But I'm telling you, there's another component of that, and that's how you and I choose to live our lives. You see, it doesn't matter how much we know if we don't reflect the truths of the gospel. The Bible says our lives are like letters being read by all men. Hey, listen, you know this. In the Christian life, being always precedes doing. And and, and our being means that we're living our lives usable for God, effective, sharing a testimony of truth that the difference Christ can make in the empirical difference that he has made and is making in our life. Jesus said, by their fruits you'll know them. Listen, you can't be used of God unless you belong to him and him alone. Matter of fact, here's what I like to say. You can only make a difference in someone else's life to the degree that God is making in your own life. See somebody that needs some help? that you can speak into their life and help them, well, believe me, it'll only be measured to the point that God's already making in your life. That's the principle. So I'm telling you today, let's live the gospel. Let's learn the gospel. Let's share the gospel. Let's let our lives be a habitual practice of stewarding all that God has entrusted to us. Yes, let's give him our time. Yes, let's give him our finances. But let's give him what he deserves, our very best. Let me move quickly. One last thing. How to stay usable for God? Well, it takes a humble position. It takes this habitual practice of stewarding what God's entrusted to us. And what I'm calling thirdly, it also takes an honorable persistence, an honorable persistence. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found persisting, to be found faithful, The final reminder is this critical mandate and a call for faithfulness that you and I would be steadfast, that God has placed a call on our life and he has redeemed us and you and I are going to be continuing on in this walk of faith. Honestly, I'm concerned and I'll bet you are as well about the dropout rate of many people in the church today. It's pandemic. People who were once dependable and committed, being used of God, and now there's nowhere to be found. Don't get me wrong. If you're looking for an excuse to pull back and quit engaging in the ministry of the church, you'll always find a reason. There's plenty of excuses. It was Benjamin Franklin who said one time that the guy who's good at excuses is rarely good for anything else how true it is so if you're looking for excuse you'll find it here's my concern this is our tendency we put more emphasis in the Christian life on how a person begins than how they finish now don't get me wrong believe me the start is critical you can only start in the Christian life in in a right way and by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins and giving your heart in totality to the Lord. But there's another component that I'm afraid that we're oftentimes afraid to touch. And that is the expectation that God has for us. And that is that we continue on, that we persevere in this calling God's placed on our life. 
that we're going to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as we know, our labor is not in vain in Him. It's not, I'm telling you, the Bible emphasizes it. Paul's wrapping it up in, in Galatians chapter 6. He said, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we'll reap if we don't faint. <laughs> if we don't quit. If we don't drop out. Let's do good to all men, he said, but especially unto those who are the household of faith. And here in this text, to be usable of God is seen in only, not only in the necessity of being a servant and being a rightful steward, but can I tell you, an unfaithful servant or unfaithful steward doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> you, you wouldn't be a steward, a godly steward, if you're unfaithful. You wouldn't be a servant if you were unfaithful. Listen, it goes hand in glove. Faithfulness must be our banner. There's a sad example of that in the scriptures. A man by the name of Demas. Paul mentions him in Colossians and he calls him a true and faithful servant. Fellow servant. And then he mentions him again in 2 Timothy chapter 4. The last chapter of God's word that Paul would ever write. And he would say this. Demas has departed because he has loved this present world. He's gone to the wind. <laughs> He's left me. And here I am in need of this once faithful man, fellow servant, but now he's fallen in love with the world. Can I tell you, the pitfalls of not being usable for God, oftentimes is we're, we're just too proud to be used. There's an arrogance about us. There's this hubris that somehow makes its way into our life. But secondly, it's being negligent of what God's entrusted to us. We've been given the gifts at the time of our conversion. We've been given some talents, but we don't use them. We hoard our finances, the resources God's entrusted to us, the giftedness that he's placed on our life. And certainly that's always manifests through unfaithfulness. I know some of you have had the privilege to be at Yellowstone National Park at some point in time. And there's a geyser there that uh, everybody always goes quickly to see, known as Old Faithful. Do you realize back in the 60s, the mid-60s, that every 64 minutes, Old Faithful would erupt? Now, some 50, 60 years later, it's not every 64 minutes. It's between 90 and 120 minutes. You know what I'm telling you? Even Old Faithful's not faithful anymore. That's a sad scenario, isn't it? But here's the reality. There have been a lot of faithful people who's not unfaithful anymore. Oh, back in the day they used to be. Back in the day you could depend on them. Oh, they were quick to volunteer. They, were, they understood this idea of being a servant of God, but something's happened along the way. They got their feelings hurt. They got weary and well-doing, and no longer are they faithful as they need to be. I may be speaking to you today. I don't know. But I know this. God expects our faithfulness. Maybe at one time you were walking with God hand in hand, and life was great. 
But I'm telling you the truth, when you depart from that, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you continue to walk without God, pretty soon you're going to end up empty, disappointed, with heartache and shame. It seems to always be the case. All it takes is a little compromise of our convictions, and we begin to drift, and pretty soon we go the way of the world. But I'm telling you, the good news of the gospel message is this. Jesus is always extending his hand and say, come. Come on back. Come back. Come to the place of faithfulness. I'll love you. I'll redeem you. I'll support you. I'll walk with you. Give me your heart. Give me your life. Give me your all. Be usable for me. Find a joy in serving me once again. And I pray that will be our heart's desire. Would you bow your heads with me today? Lord, forgive us when we take our eyes off you and, and there's attractions that seduce us. Oftentimes the greed of our own heart the lustfulness of our own soul sabotages our walk with you. But help us with soberness of mind to raise our heads and focus upon the God who is. This loving God who condescended down in the person of Jesus Christ who has made into us the way of salvation. Lord, we love you today. Take our hearts, take our lives. Help us. We don't and can't do it on our own. But thank you that you've provided the Holy Spirit to come and reside in our hearts and life, to lead us in the way everlasting. And so today we give you our heart. We give you our life. Thank you that you paid it all for our own salvation celebrate that reality today oh Lord I celebrate with your good grace on those eight who trusted in you this past week at vacation Bible school and those who labored here serving you through serving those children I pray for others today who can make a difference for kingdom good who can serve you through this local church that they would say a yes to you. Lord, help me to be a better servant. Help me to have a, a new cognizant of missed opportunities. Raise my awareness, my sensitivity to those things. That you might be glorified in my life. So Lord, we humbly call upon you. Thank you for the grace that's been given to us in Christ's name pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's stand together. Staff will be here at the front if you'd like to make a decision. David's going to lead us in this invitation hymn. Jesus paid it all. Let's sing it today. If you'd like to pray with someone, we've got plenty of hip folks here at the front who'd love to pray with you, counsel with you if you'd like to come. We're not going to be here long once you come on the first verse of this invitation hymn. Let's sing it together. Let's believe it together. You come right now while we sing and pray. You come. I hear.
Blessing for Mary and I to be back, and uh, we're going to be here again next Sunday, of course, and hope you will be as well. Uh, we've got a few uh, Sundays that we had commitments already through the summer, uh, and, and as we get close to August and, and throughout the fall, uh, we're going to be here most Sundays, and we're glad about that. We love coming to Hoffmantown Church. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your prayers and even our frustrations in trying to get home uh, just a couple of weeks ago when we were here. It just took us about two and a half days to get home from here. And so that's a, that, that trip's a, li a little long. We need to turn and come back about the time we got home. But uh, anyhow, we're, uh, we're enjoying what the Lord is uh, doing through us here, and we feel honored to be here. We want you to know that. We're flying out and going to the Southern Baptist Convention tonight. We'll be there for three days this week. And... Um, Lord's already placed a sermon on my heart for Father's Day. Looking forward uh, to preaching next Sunday and pray that you'll be here to, to celebrate not only our relationship with God, but also the fathers who indeed uh, shoulder big responsibilities. Amen. All right. Let me pray a quick uh, word of blessing on you and you'll be free to go. Father, we love you today. Thank you for this message. I pray we'd take it to heart. I pray a blessing on all those who are here today. May they continually guard their heart, for out of it come the issues of life. I pray, Father, that they would delight in serving you and loving you. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to please you as we walk by faith. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you for being here.